Hey everybody, welcome to the Fearlessly Authentic Podcast. Episodes aimed at presenting truth in a fearlessly authentic way. By now you know I'm Jerry, and we're right in the middle of an episode on the blessing of suffering. In our last episode, we were talking about a passage in the book of Job, and I was explaining the text of how Job was dealing with suffering. Let's go right back into that message as I continue to explain that text and tie it into how it dealt with Joseph. This episode is entitled, The Blessing of Suffering, Part 2. You see, the key phrase in this passage is, When he hath tried me. What is Job admitting at this point? He's saying here, God, I really want the answer. This pressure. Now remember, Job lost 10 of his children. How many children did he have? 10. Lost them all. Lost his house, lost his finances, lost all his servants, lost all his sheep, goat, cattle, lost it all. And then his health was taken away from him. He's sitting on the side of the road, scraping scabs off of his body with a piece of broken pottery. All the while, his three best friends in his life come up to him, and what do they say? Job, what kind of sin you got in your life that God's treating you this way? <laughs> I'm gonna, if I could get up and dot your eye, I would. But my health is so bad, I can't. But when I get better, you're not going to talk. Now, you didn't even say that, but that's what we would say, right? No, this is Job. But he says, when he hath tried me, which is this, he, he understood this. He says, God, even though I want to be out from underneath this process, I know that you're in no hurry in the process of making gold. The process of discovering and processing and purifying and shaping gold is a lengthy and painstaking process. And this is what God is trying to do with us. He's trying to conform us into the image of his son. And sometimes people, sometimes beloved, he has to bring some suffering into our life to knock out of our life, which we won't do on our own. Because he knows that that staying in our life will destroy us in the end. And so he's like, I got to get this out. I got to get this out. I got to perform some surgery because you won't do the proper thing that needs to be done. Notice what Job is not saying when he says this. He says, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth, as you say it, as gold. Notice what he's not saying here. Notice what he's not saying. He's saying, when he hath tried me, I will make a million bucks. A million dollars. But Job's not saying that. He's saying, I'll come forth as gold. He's not saying, when he hath tried me, I'll get back everything that I lost. That's not what he's saying. That's what we want. He's not saying when he had tried me, my wife will say she's sorry, or my husband will say he's sorry, and we'll make things right. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying when he has tried me, everything will be like it once was. You see, Job understood that the promises of God here, that when, when he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold, was not promising to restore him the externals, but to give him the internals. Gold here in this text means that you'll be ready to serve him where he chooses, and you'll be able to handle whatever comes your way in his service. Joseph was being shaped for greatness. Joseph could never be the prime minister that he was had he not gone through the trials that he went through. God was taking a horrible situation of his brother's sin, the actions of sin that his brothers performed, and God says, that's not my plan, but I can make this good in the end. But through this process, I've got to form my servant, Joseph. He's not ready for what I'm going to do with him. He's not ready. He's got to learn to trust me with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. 
He's got to learn to be humble. He has got to learn the process that will make him a great man someday so that he can literally save the known world. Joseph was being shaped for greatness. If you go back to Genesis, waiting is the process that God uses to clear out of our lives those things that would hinder the task that God has prepared us to accomplish. Abraham had to wait for Isaac. Moses didn't lead the Exodus until he was 80. Elijah had to wait by a brook. Noah waited 120 years for rain. Paul had to go wait three years in Arabia before he could be ready to be used for what God's purpose was. God is working while his people are waiting, waiting, and waiting. Now, as Paul Harvey says, now the rest of the story. Go back to Genesis 41. It says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kind, those are cattle, and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and, and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored, lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind, so Pharaoh awoke. Because if you had that dream, you'd probably wake up too. And he slept and dreamed the second time, and behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good, and behold, seven thin ears, and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. It came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. Now, the magicians weren't like David Copperfield magicians back then. These were the astrologers. These were the guys who kind of looked to the stars, and they were the wise men. These were the wisest men. They called them magicians of Egypt, and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, and there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. At least they were honest. Pharaoh, we have no idea. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh. You see how God had worked this all out? Pharaoh didn't have the dream two years ago. And there would be no reason for Pharaoh to release the man who was convicted of having an affair with his chief executioner, no matter what he said. Everybody in prison is innocent. God had him wait for two years, learn lessons there, and then at just the right time, at just the right place, he moves in the life of the chief butler. And it says here, and the chief butler went to Pharaoh and said, I do remember my faults this day. Which is pretty interesting. He goes to Pharaoh, he goes, I got something to confess to you. Oh, really? I'm interested to hear this. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in the ward and the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream he did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was me he restored into mine office and him he hanged. Remember? Remember you hanged him. I was the good guy. So what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. Now they wanted to get him to Pharaoh quickly, but notice Joseph stops and asks one request. He said, can I shave myself? Can I change my raiment? See, he would have been greatly bearded. And his clothes were dirty. He smelled like the dungeon, like some of your basements. That's what he smelled. And so he says, oh, whoa, whoa, wait. You see, facial hair was not an Egyptian thing. Everybody shaved there. He says, I want to look good when I go in front of the Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, he says, I came, I have dreamed a dream. I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it, and have heard say of thee that thou can, canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, Now notice, notice his response. It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He says, Pharaoh, 
it's not me who can interpret it, but my God will give you shalom. My God will give you peace. That reminds me of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, we've been justified in Christ. What We now have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God brings the peace that we're looking for. Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of a river, and behold, there came up out of the, out of the river seven kind, fat flesh, and well-favored, and they, they fed in meadow. He tells them all about his dream, goes down to verse 24. I'm going to skip for sake of time. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Notice what he's saying. He says, God, 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 God. This is all about God. Isn't it interesting? His freedom is on the line. How many gods did the Egyptians worship? A lot. But he's not talking about the gods of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a god, according to the Egyptians. But he's like, no, no, no. God is showing you what he's going to do. He says, the seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good years are seven years. The dream is one. The seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he has showed unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. For, and for that, the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Pharaoh, we're going to have seven years of plenty, and then we're going to have seven years of famine. The famine will make the plenty look like nothing. Everyone will be wiped out. It will consume the land. He says, Now therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not throughout the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and all of his servants. Then he says this, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is. Joseph says, you need to find a guy who can manage this thing and keep you from going into famine. And don't you think that if you were there, you'd be like, and I'm the man. But he never says that. He says, you need to find someone. You need to find someone. I'm just, I'm just a humble servant. I'm just the guy you just brought out of the dungeon. Here's what the dream is. God is going to do some remarkable things if you'll listen, but you need to find a man. And Pharaoh says, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in thy throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, put it upon Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in a vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. It is Joseph's Cinderella moment. Come on. He is locked up stairs, and the wicked stepmother has kept him from getting the thing that he should have. He's upstairs with the, golden, with, the, with the glass slipper. He can interpret the dreams, but he's not pushing himself forward. He's just stuck in a horrible life that he doesn't understand why. And then all of a sudden, he's called up at a time that he doesn't understand. He's called up to interpret a dream. God lets him interpret a dream. He tells Pharaoh what it is that he does. And then Pharaoh says, hey, you're the man. You are my prime minister. Here is my coat. Here is my ring. Here is my chariot. People will bow to you. Nothing will happen without you and me saying it. 
who could we find except this man, Joseph? This is the Cinderella moment that we've been waiting for. The Cinderella moment that never would have taken place had he got out of God's plan at any step earlier. I always wonder what Joseph was thinking when all this was taking place. Maybe a quick flashback to the events of the last 15 years might have began to swirl around in his mind. I wonder if the words, as, 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 as Pharaoh was speaking all these things, I wonder if he was saying something like, whispering, praise be to God. Praise be to God. Tears start to flow down his face as the pain and suffering all made sense. Now, it would be great when he was sold into slavery way back here as a 15-year-old boy and he was being taken away from everything he'd known if God would have said, hey, you can make it. I'm going to make you prime minister. It'll take 15 years, but just, just hang with it. It'd be great when he was being arrested for uh, assaulting a woman for not doing it, that God would say, oh, but you're going to be prime minister. It'd be great when he was in the dungeon and he was forgotten for two years, that God would have said, hey, just hold on. In two years, you're going to get out of this. But none of that took place. God was silent because he was working on the internals of Joseph, not his externals, because he had a plan to mold him and make him to be ready for something in the future. I don't know what your something is in the future. I would love to be able to look into my crystal ball. I didn't bring my magic preacher dust with me today, so I can't make, uh, tell you what's going to happen in your future. I don't know what's going to happen in your future, but I know what will happen in your future if you choose to kick at the suffering. I know what will happen in your future if you choose other counselors to make yourself feel better about the suffering. I know what will happen if you don't stay where God uniquely and sovereignly has designed you to be for right now. I know where you will be. So I don't know what your moment might be, but I know where you will be if you reject God's work of molding you into precious gold. And while we're not told what was going on, there are two obvious lessons that I think are evident to Joseph as he was about to be promoted to prime minister. Number one, it's hard not to panic while waiting on God. So instead, try trusting. Count on God to handle the butlers in your life, the people who forget you, the people who break their promises. Count on God to handle them. It's God's job to deal with the butlers of your past. All those people who have forgotten you, all those people who have wronged you, all those people that you think are just ruined your life. It's, let, let it, it's God's job to deal with them. It's your job to be the kind of servant that he's designed you to be. That's what your job is. So be faithful during your waiting periods of life. God will not forget you and God will not forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says in the book of Hebrews. So it's hard not to panic when waiting on God. So instead, try trusting. Here's the second thing. It's hard not to be prideful when the reward comes. So instead, be, tr be thankful. It's hard not to celebrate like a nut when the reward comes and say, in your face, in your face, in your face, right? All you people who forgot me, look at me. I'm the prime minister, prime minister. Where's that Potiphar? Butler buddy, you and I got a little score to settle. Two long years I've waited, and I'm going to dot your eye. I mean, that's how we want to be. I mean, cool and the gang, celebrate, good time is playing, and we're just like, oh, I'm going to just, you know. It's hard not to be prideful when the reward comes. So instead, be thankful. Only God can bring you through and out of your dungeon. Only God can. Not you. You can't do it. Only God can reward you for your faithfulness. And if he has, be grateful, not proud.
allow humility to guide you to be thankful and forgiving. Because God doesn't announce his appointments in advance. He doesn't tell you what he's going to do in advance. He just does it. And while in the darkness of your dungeon, where we may be right now, by faith, trust him to bring the light of the new day. Because here's the thing that you need to remember. Spring always follows winter. I hate winter. I am not a winter fan. You say, well, you grew up in Buffalo. You must love snow. I've had my fill of snow. Fill of snow. I hate winter. I don't like winter sport. I like hockey, but you go inside to watch hockey. I don't want to. I just, I don't like to be cold. I'm at that point where warm weather makes me feel nice. But I love the end of February and the beginning of March. In Buffalo, it's the beginning of May, maybe the beginning of June. I love that time when the temperature starts to change back and the buds start to go on the thing and new life comes. The rays start to feel warm again. It's not liquid sunshine. Love that. The wonderful thing about winter is that though it is tedious and you got to shovel it and it's cold and your car always breaks down in the winter and you didn't bring your gloves. And how do I scrape that stuff off my car? Because it's not enough for my scraper and it'll break my credit card. It's just enough to annoy you. I got to wait for the defroster to actually work. Except some of you, I've seen you drive down the road. You got this little square. And you're like, I can drive. <laughs> the beautiful thing is that spring always comes after winter. And you may be in the winter of your life. It may be like cold and snowy and six feet of snow fell and your shovel broke and your neighbor with a snowblower hates you so you're stuck and, and uh, or you did everybody else's driveway but didn't do yours and you're just, you know, just, just thanking God for that, you know, just trying to, you know, and it's just, it's just a rough time. Your car broke down in the middle of winter, you don't have your gloves and you're trying to drive down the street through a little tiny hole. Maybe where you are right now, but spring is coming. Be patient. It always comes after winter. In the darkness of the dungeon, we need to cling to the promises of God. Can I give you just two? John chapter 1 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even enough to believe on his name. The first promise that he always gives is that if you would repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Christ, you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. God works through his relationships. And if you are in a trial of your life, the first step that you need to do is make sure you have a relationship with the God of the universe. It can happen very quickly. It's just a simple acknowledgement on your part that, uh, yes, we are all sinners. We all have call, come short of the glory of God, but we repent of our sins. We're sorry for our sins. We know that it has offended a holy God, and we are asking God to do what he has promised, to give us eternal life. And we begin a relationship with him. And then he can start to do that work that he wants to help us. He can bring spring into our winter. Another promise is, is for those who have already done that. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, says, Be careful or stop worrying. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace, the shalom of God. Remember Joseph said, I will give you, Pharaoh, my God will give you shalom. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's for you if you're a believer. Someone once counted the promises, and I don't know if this is true, and said there are 7,474 promises in the Bible. 7,474 promises in the Bible. The promises all tell us these same things. It's worth it. Walk with me. Trust in, trust in me. And wait with me. Joseph learned that a broken and contrite heart is not the end, but it's just the beginning. And even though he felt, oh, I don't know, crushed by the disappointment 
of unrealized dreams, he discovered that God never left him alone. He became a person of greater stability, of deeper quality and profound character. And none of this would have taken place had he not gone through the suffering that he did. The blessings of suffering is the lesson we need to learn today. And this is the lesson. Are you ready? I will trust when I cannot see. I will trust when I cannot see. Let me pray for you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Two verses to take with you when you're in the midst of suffering. Those are the blessings that are available to us as we wait. Thanks for listening today. If what you heard today was an encouragement, I hope that you'll share this on your social media. I look forward to joining you here next time for another episode of Fearlessly Authentic. Fearlessly Authentic.